Hello baseball fans and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where there is no offseason and we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year, whether it's the winter, spring, summer, or especially the fall, because that's when it's the best. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording here at Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the, well, let's be honest here, the team that is not going to win the 2017 World Series. Holy cats, are the Giants terrible. They're so bad they made the Mets look good. And I got to tell you, Look, at, but trust me, for those of you who think I just concentrate too much on, you know, the Red Sox and Giants, I'm going to talk a little Red Sox today. Uh, there's not really that much to talk about the Giants. Uh, for those of you who've been following the podcast, you know my father is the biggest Giants fan that there is. And uh, he's not watching Giants games. He says, I can't watch this team. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I can't blame you. When you look at this team, that they are just, they, they can't win. This is a team that cannot win right now, and they lost again today to the Mets 11-4. of this is the, this is the Mets, and they just can't. This is the second straight, and I mean, hold on a second. How many nights in a row have they gone, have they let up just unbelievable amounts of runs? I mean, they have been in the last... Uh, well, you know, they've been they've been awful. How many times the runs allowed have been... I'm going to go to BaseballReference.com and see where it's in the history of the planet Earth, okay? Uh, and I'm going to click on Runs Allowed. And they've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games where they've let up double-digit runs. double Digit runs, including June 15th, June 16th, June 22nd, and June 23rd, as in all the games recently. They have just been, this has been grotesque. And the fact that they are, you know, they are off to a bad start. They had a bad May. They are 5 and 16 in June. This is all time bad for the Giants. This is going to be one of the worst teams that the San Francisco Giants have ever put on the field. I mean, let's 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 talk about the pace. Shall we talk about the pace of this Giants club, shall we? They are currently, if I'm not mistaken, no, the Philadelphia Phillies are the only team worse than the San Francisco Giants right now. At they are 22 games under 500. They are playing to a 3-5-5 winning percentage, which means they are on pace to go 50, 58, and 104. 104 lost season. And I gotta, we got to look up, folks. When was the last time the Giants were a 100-loss team? Last time San Francisco put a 100 losses on the board, Actually, I actually honestly don't know the answer to that. So I'm, again, going to BaseballReference.com. You know how it goes. And I just got logged out. They don't want, Baseball Reference does not want me to find this out. 
Let's go here. And let's go find out the worst team in Giants history. Has there been a 100 loss, 103 loss team? No. Now think about that. The Giants have been around since forever. Forever. In fact, if you read Genesis, they speak about how the Giants existed there. There are Giants in Genesis. I'm not making that up. And I do believe that is the same team that currently exists in San Francisco. The only time they ever lost 100 games was in 1985. And that was when they hit rock bottom before having a good 1986 and winning the division as the humbabies of 1987. This is on pace to be the worst Giants team of all time. All time. From, I mean, from... They've only had a handful of 90-loss teams, including the 1899 Giants. So, in a way, if you're a Giant fan, this is the year to follow them. This is the year to go to AT&T Park. Because you can say, well, wait a minute. yeah, I was there for the three World Series winning teams, but I was also there for the team that lost 100 games. I guess my dad doesn't have to do that because he stayed with him for a lot of thick and a lot of thin along the way, and he's seen him win three championships. But they, you know, they have to do what they have to do as of now. Like, I mean, now, as you're listening to this podcast, is they have to unload. The Giants have to seriously unload right now. And when you think about some of the players they could actually unload... Man, you realize they were one decent inning, one decent ninth inning away from getting to the national, from getting to a game five of the division series last year. They had the best record in baseball at the All Star game last year, and it's been, uh, and they're putting together a year like this. Well, let me tell you something, right here and now. If I were the Giants, I would keep Buster Posey. I'd keep Brandon Belt. Posey's only 30. Belt's 29. I'd keep uh, Johnny Cueto because you never know. But, um, and, I would, and I would keep Panic. But uh, anyone else, anyone else is, uh, should have a giant for sale on them, for sale sign on them. You know, I mean, you take a look at, like, Samarsta has, you know, he has a 2-9 and nine record, but he's actually pitched quite well recently. And he's, by the time the Giants get good again, he won't be a factor. By the time the Giants get good again, Mark Melanson, who's making people miss freaking Santiago Casilla, he won't be a factor. By the time they get good again, Contos won't be a factor. And Matt Moore won't be a factor. And by the time they get good again, I mean, Hunter Pence won't be a factor. And Denard Spann won't be a factor. And Eduardo Nunez won't be a factor. Now think what I just said right there. Nunez, Spann, Pence, uh, who else? Uh, Samarsda, uh, Melanson, and more. Six players. And they should concentrate not on getting quantity. They should try for each one of those six players to get one good young player back. Because I think they may have the foundation for something not bad. A 
healthy Bumgarner back next year, a healthy Cueto back next year, a Ty Block who can play, uh, an up the middle of uh, Panic and Crawford and Posey with Belt at first. That's the foundation of an okay team if they get one decent young player back for all those players. And they better do it now because this season's lost. And the amazing thing about what is happening this year is that the Giants should be coming up. Do what team they should be talking to right now? Uh, The team is anyone in the American League. Because the American League is as tightly wound as you will ever see the American League. Yes, the Detroit Tigers are in an absolute free fall, and they're probably going to start trading away some of their players, and Brad Ausmus is probably going to be looking for a job. Okay, and the uh, Giants' neighbors across the bay, the A's, they had a, they've actually played pretty well recently. They swept the Yankees, but you know, they're 10 games under 500, and they're probably not going to do piddly-poo. But let's go to the wild card for a second, shall we? Right now, as of, as of this moment. As of this moment, the A's are seven games back of the wild card. Now, that's probably, you know, they're probably not going to make that. But that's the furthest back. You know, the Tigers in their free fall are six and a half games back. Teams that have been unbelievably disappointing this year, like the White Sox. They're only six back of a playoff spot. The Orioles, the Orioles, who every game, every game the Orioles play, they let up, um, I don't know, 19 runs? Are they letting up 19 runs a game? It is absolutely insane what the Baltimore Orioles are doing right now in terms of their, what their pitching is doing. And their pitching, I mean, right the day, the, the last night, they lost, well, I'm going over to the, the scoreboard, but they wound up losing the game. They played in final score 15-5 to Tampa Bay. By the way, Tampa Bay is a playoff team as I record this right now. And you take a look at the results of this team. They have let up, uh, I think it's, what, is it five runs every game for the last, hold on, one, two, Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Twenty straight games where they've let up five runs or more. That's to, I mean, and that's five is the the low point. I mean, they let up fifteen tonight. They let up twelve a few days ago, eleven a few days ago. They had three straight games where it was sixteen runs they let up, fourteen runs they let up, ten they let up. This is the worst pitching staff in terms of results you could possibly fathom at any way in any way, shape, or form. And yet, as I sit here talking to you through my little recorder, the Orioles are technically in it. Yes, they're on a three-game losing streak right now. Yes, they're three games under 500 right now. They are currently two games back in the loss column for a playoff spot. 
The Angels, without Mike Trout, have a losing record. Surprise, they can't win without Mike Trout. They are three games out of the lost column of a playoff spot. The Kansas City Royals are almost single-handedly ruining the trade deadline because they, half of their team, are free agents. All these recognizable names are free agents, and they got off to a rotten start, and they're currently at even 500. They are not a team that's going to win the World Series. Okay, they should take advantage of these players who are about to go off into free agency and do what I just said about their counterpart in the 2014 World Series, the Giants, and try to get a decent player back for every single player who's going to go to free agency. But guess what? (laughs) They've won eight of their last 10 games, and despite only being 500, they are tied in the loss column for a playoff spot. And only have to leapfrog Seattle, who's on a... By the way, did you know Seattle's on a six-game winning streak? Minnesota, who's actually ahead in the loss column for a playoff spot, but are are half a game back because of the win column. And Tampa Bay. So Kansas City could look up and say, why are we going to trade half of our team away when we have a shot to make the playoffs? And these are the exact teams that the Giants should be calling every hour on the hour. Now, other teams then actually should do that too. The Mets, the Marlins, all these teams that need you know, relievers and, and, and role players, they should be picking these teams apart for parts. But Samarza and Moore and Hunter Pence are players who could be an impact, especially getting them out of San Francisco where it's a bad situation this year and putting them in a contending situation when you're saying, we're not asking you to give us a superstar season. Give us two decent months. And when you look at the American League, now again, I don't know how you calculate wins above replacement, but if a player can add a win here or maybe add two wins there, that may be the difference between whether or not you play in October. That may be the difference between you playing in the wild card game or playing golf. And, you know, checking in. Seeing if you can, you know, win, get a punch your ticket to October. Who knows? As I record this, the Astros are running away with their division. The Indians are starting to show why they're the consensus pick. Although they're only one game ahead in the loss column of Minnesota at this point. The Red Sox and Yankees, well, they look like they may be tangling themselves up for the season along with Tampa Bay. But all these teams are within a bite. And the Giants have to take advantage of that. Now, I'm going to bring something up that happened the other day. I'm going to bring a couple of things up because they go to a thing that are, are constant topics back when I was doing the daily podcast. There was a game that was played. There was two games that were played that were somewhat controversial the other day, and they're worth bringing up. Yasiel Puig admired a home run that he hit and caught the ire of the New York Metropolitans that he styled or did whatever at the plate. And, you know, some people say, oh, they should send him a message and they should hit him or whatever like that. I've made it clear over the years Um, I think beaning batters is ridiculous. If it shows you're gutless, it shows you're spineless, 
If you don't like Yasiel Puig styling and showing off after he hits a home run, there's a very simple solution. Don't give up home runs to Yasiel Puig. There you go. If you get him out, he won't style at the plate. If he does hit a home run, he's earned the right to style at the plate. I would rather have everyone do a Tom Lawless bat flip in the air and then start breakdancing their way to first base than have a single person hit because of a home run. It shows you're a loser. It shows you're a wimp. You can hit a home run off me, but I'm going to hit you. You could injure someone. You could hurt someone's career doing that. You don't like that someone styles? That's a you issue. You can celebrate after a touchdown. You can style after a, uh, uh, you know, a slam dunk. You jump up and down after a goal in hockey, and whenever someone gets a goal in soccer, oh my God, they, 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 there's a parade. Floats come out after someone gets a goal in soccer, but if someone admires a home run or styles, oh my God, that's the worst thing that happened. I got news for you. We like styling. We like the reaction. In fact, some home runs remain, oh, I don't know, immortal because of the reaction. Because of how they celebrate. I mentioned Tom Lawless, who hit three career home runs. One of them was in the World Series against Frank Viola. I did one of my cards of the day about him. He hit the home run, stood at first base. He said later he stood at first base because the runner at first was tagging, so he couldn't really pass him. But when you watch the highlight, he didn't look at first base. He just watched it go and go and go. And when it cleared the wall, he gave a beautiful bat flip for a guy who at the time had one more home run than me. And it's a beautiful thing. Anyone who remembers that home run doesn't remember the situation, doesn't remember it was in Game 4 of the World Series in 1987, doesn't remember if it was off of uh, uh, Frankie Viola and gave the Twins, uh, gave, I'm sorry, St. Louis the lead in the fourth inning. They don't remember the situation. They remember the badass bat flip. Carlton Fisk's home run is partially part of our lore based on how he reacted to it. By jumping up and waving his arms, wave it fair, wave it fair, wave it fair, it's fair, and he jumps up. And the camera caught that, and it became part of lore. We don't know how people reacted to home runs beforehand, because cameras weren't on them. Oh, back then we were stoic, we were this bullcrap. People were screaming, yelling, jumping up and down and everything. Watch the reaction to the Bobby Thompson home run. People were going bananas. They just didn't have cameras on them then. You know, Joe Carter's home run. Did he put his head down and run stoically around the bases? No. Because we remember that. We remember Mike Schmidt when he hits his 500th home run doing that little dance. That's what, what you show with the highlight reel. And people enjoy that. It's called fun. And if the pitcher can't deal with that, then do you know what? I don't care if your feelings are hurt. They should be hurt. You're a pitcher and you've let up a home run. 
They showed you up? No, yeah, they showed you up by showing that you couldn't get that batter out. And you hitting him proves us nothing. And I hate it when it comes down to that, especially a team like the Mets, who, when they're not playing the Giants, are in absolute, utter free fall. The other thing, though, I think is a little more nuanced and yet still just as stupid. How do you break up a no-hitter? Think about that for a second. What is a way that it is okay to break up a no-hitter? Now, Justin Verlander was throwing a no-hitter the other day, piling up the strikeouts as well. And Dyson of the Mariners bunted, got a bunt base hit to get on. And there were people who were saying that was Bush League. He was throwing a perfect game at the time, and you broke it up with a bunt. That's Bush League stuff. That's disrespectful. People were saying that. And it wasn't the onion. Like People were saying that and being real, that you shouldn't break up a no-hitter with a bunt because it's disrespectful to the pitcher. Now, the thing that made it ridiculous that people were even bringing that up is that they broke up the no-hitter. It was a one-run game. They broke up the no-hitter in the sixth. Justin Verlander didn't make it out of the sixth. Technically, not only was he not on the verge of a perfect game, he didn't even qualify for a quality start. In the end, the Mariners scored seven runs. Verlander's start, according to ESPN's game score, was the 10th best game of that night. We're not talking about an all-time game here. We're talking about a game where he piled up a bunch of strikeouts, pitched well in the six, and fell apart. And most importantly, the Mariners won the game. And the Mariners are on the verge. You know, they, they, they have the longest postseason drought of any team in baseball. They haven't been in the postseason since 2001. They need to win games. They are currently in the middle, as I said, of an eight-game winning streak, or uh, sorry, six-game winning streak now, as they are trying to crawl their way back into contention. And as I said before, when only seven games separate a trip to the postseason and being having the lowest winning percentage in the American League, what that tells you is everything's bunched together. And what that really tells you is this. When you get down to September, some of these teams are going to fall out. Some of these teams are going to have, there will be an ill-placed losing streak here or there that looks like, you know, the A's or the White Sox or the Tigers might be falling out now. And some combination of Baltimore, Toronto, Texas, some combination of teams will fall out because they're going to have a bad July or a bad August. But some of them are going to be in there. And mark my words, I'm telling you, what the hell day is it today? It's the 24th day of June, in the year of our Lord, 2017. We are going to get into September. And I believe only four, maybe five American League teams, tops, are going to be out of contention. You are going to see, as we go into the final few weeks of the season, Three or four games are going to separate 
going to play in the playoffs or not. And what that means is that you've got to scratch and claw for every single win. Every, the wins you get now in June count just as much in the standings as they do in September. Get the wins now. Win by the, any means that you can, and forget all of this, you're showing us up nonsense. By the way, have you noticed it's two teams who are very expensive, with very expensive names, in utter free fall, are complaining about stuff like, oh, you're showing us up, you're being mean, that's not nice. What does that say about those organizations? You, you, why won't you let us win? You're trying to win. Yeah, yeah, the Dodgers are trying to win. You want one reason the Dodgers are trying to win? They got to they gotta get back into the postseason, and they have two teams, in that, one in Arizona and one in Colorado, who are on their tail. Yeah, Seattle's got to bunt for a base hit. Let me tell you something. If the other pitcher is throwing a perfect game, and it's 10 nothing. In the bottom of the ninth, and there are two outs, bunt your way on. Bunt your way on. There's no problem with doing that. Go to YouTube. Look up some of these clips of great comeback, great ninth inning comebacks. That's the beauty of baseball. You can't take a knee. You can't run the clock out. You have to get that 27th out if you want to win the game. And yeah, if you're up, if you're losing ten nothing, and the opposing pitcher is throwing a perfect game, what are you supposed to do? Stand stoically? Make him earn it. Make him earn that perfect game. Your job is to get on base because it is possible in baseball to go on a ten-run rally. We've seen a couple of those just this week. And if you get to the end of the season. And you say, oh, we're just missed. Last year, the Cardinals and the Mariners and the Tigers just missed making it to the postseason. A game here or a game there, they would have been in. They would have been in. Instead, they were not. And a big reason why they were not is they lost a game here, they lost a game there along the way. And if you look back and say, oh, remember that game? I had a chance to bunt for a base hit, but you know what? I had to, you know, I had to be respectful to the other pitcher. What a bunch of crap that is. Sorry, but that's a bunch of crap. I have an honest question. I asked this on Twitter. I'll ask you that now. And please respond via the Twitterverse where I'm at Sully Baseball. If you leap over the wall and bring back a home run, are you being disrespectful to the batter who hit the home run? Shouldn't you just let it go over the fence? Was Andy Chavez being disrespectful to Scott Rowland? He hit it over the fence. You should have let him go, let it go over, right? How is that different than saying the guy's throwing a no-hitter and I'm going to lay down a bunt to break it up? Because your job is to get on base. Your job is to try to win that game, not to honor the other pitcher. So someone please explain that to me. Why is leaping over the fence to catch a home run not disrespectful, but laying down a bunt 
to try to break up a perfect game respectful. Oh, here's another question along those same lines. Guys throwing a perfect game. Guys throwing a perfect game, two outs, bottom of the ninth, full count, and he throws an inside pitch. Shouldn't you, out of respect, swing at it? Shouldn't you, out of respect, take a cut and strike out? Why, why isn't taking that walk, is that the, being disrespectful? He, been, he was throwing a perfect game. I mean, come on, show some class. Class is winning. And if you hit a home run, celebrate. You did something great. And if the guy's doing no hitter at you, your job is to get a hit. Your job is to get on base. Your job is to try to win that game. This is going to be an absolutely bananas September. And there are going to be a couple of teams in the American League who it will make no damn sense that they're in it. A team like Minnesota, a team like the Angels, a team like Tampa Bay, a team like Kansas City, who should be rebuilding right now, are going to be hanging around. And every win is going to count. So knock this stuff off. Shall we? Thank you. I just want to just one more thing. Before I get into the team that should have won, yes, David Ortiz's number was retired. They are retiring numbers for the Red Sox a lot faster than they used to. For years and years, it was just Ted Williams. Then Bobby Doerr showed up. Then it was Joe Cronin. Then it was Yaz. And it seemed like that was it for a long time. Now they've added uh, Carlton Fisk. Okay. Johnny Pesky. No problem. Jim Rice, duh. Wade Boggs, way overdue, but hey, better late than never with Wade Boggs. Uh, Pedro Martinez, okay, and today David Ortiz. David Ortiz had to wait less than a year uh, while Wade Boggs waited decades. That's fine. It's fine. If you have a problem with David Ortiz's number being retired, that is a you issue. I don't want to hear it from Yankee fans. Andy Pettit's number is out there in Monument Park. He tested positive, Ortiz tested positive, so I don't want to hear it. By the way, I also think, by the way, I also think Alex Rodriguez should have his number retired. If you don't think Alex Rodriguez's numbers should be retired, explain to me why. Explain to me why on Twitter, at Sully Baseball, because um, what's the word I'm looking for? He should. He should. Which third baseman in Yankee history um, is, uh, is, has been better than Alex Rodriguez. I'm dead serious about that. Who, in what third baseman in the history, the great history of the New York Yankees, and believe me, I'm not thrilled to be saying the great history of the New York Yankees, but I'm also not stupid. They do have a wonderful history. They do have a wonderful uh, uh, you know, legacy. Who's the greatest third baseman in New York Yankee history? It's got to be Alex Rodriguez, right? I mean, I'm going to go get baseballreference.com, so I'm going to show the history of planet Earth as they've gone through that. Um, I mean, the only, the only one I can think of who comes in, who should even be in the conversation at all, is, is Nettles. But A-Rod was better than Nettles. 
I mean, that may break the heart of some people who grew up loving Greg Nettles, but, you know, Greg Nettles was the best player in baseball for a while. He didn't win multiple MVPs. And Alex Rodriguez played 12 years with the Yankees, won multiple MVPs, put up unbelievable numbers, and led them to the 2009 World Series title. All of these are true statements. And eventually, number 13 deserves to be retired. And if you disagree with me, I need you to explain why. You can't use the PED excuse if you're going to hang Andy Pettit's name up there. You can't use the never won a ring. He did win a ring, and Don Mattingly did not. You can't use the he choked in October all the time. He had a dominating October in 2009, which, by the way, is the only World Series the Yankees ever won with Derek Jeter as their captain. And if it wasn't for Alex Rodriguez's dynamic postseason that he had in 2009, Yankee fans would be saying they haven't won since 2000 and that they would be penniless since the 2004 collapse against the Red Sox. So thank Alex Rodriguez for that. And by the way, thank Alex Rodriguez because unless he has those fantastic seasons in 2005 and 2007, they miss the playoffs altogether. So, A-Rod should have his number retired. Absolutely. In fact, they should do it now. One of the reasons why they did it now for Big Poppy is that, well, you know, it's a nice celebration they had. And also, everyone knows Big Poppy is not going to get into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. It's not going to happen. You know it, I know it. And so they figured, you know what, screw it. Yeah, we love him. Whether or not he gets in the Hall of Fame, I think he should because, quite frankly, uh, I'm starting to move on from the whole PED stuff. But I get it. I understand it. I'm not stupid. But it was fun to celebrate. He gave us a lot of happiness. It's celebration. And the same should happen for Alex Rodriguez. If you disagree with me, tell me why. Tell me why. All right, I'm going to start doing because I'm starting to lay down the foundation for the revamped podcast, which will be launched sometime in July. Um, not 100% sure when. It, uh, I had been hoping to be around mid-July, but we'll see. We will see. Um, it will happen sometime within the next four or five weeks that we'll have the new revamped podcast, which will be on a brand new RSS feed. And when that happens, um, I'm going to need your help to help spread the word. And I'm going to start a Patreon account where maybe we can make a couple bucks along the way. Now, between now and then, I got to start checking off some of these teams that should have won. I've already talked about the Red Sox. I've talked about the Giants. I talked about the Yankees and I've done all those teams that should have won. Hey, a team that I threw in there, if you listen closely, I'm going to cover today. Do you know why? Because why not? One of the absolute most startling things that has happened this entire season has been the emergence of the Colorado Rockies. I've been saying all year, I don't buy the Rockies. I don't buy the Rockies. Don't see it happening. I buy the Diamondbacks. I think the Diamondbacks are a team that could be for real, but eh, I don't know about these Rockies. And they are in the middle of a three-game losing streak, to be sure. But one thing that is really startling right now is with the Giants stinking 
and with the Pirates not getting out of their own way and the Cardinals not playing well and the Mets being a mess, right now the Colorado Rockies have, drumroll please, an eight-and-a-half game lead on the Cubs for the second wildcard spot. In other words, we're approaching the end of June and the Rockies are not only in it, but they have themselves a little bit of a cushion and are really within striking distance of L.A., three games back in the loss column of the Dodgers. So the Rockies are kind of, sort of, for real. And who knows what will happen if they get into the postseason. As it stands right now, I think the Dodgers and the Nationals are playing like two teams that are obsessed with actually getting into the postseason and going far. But you never know. Colorado could sneak up on you, kind of like they've been doing all year. Now, the thing about the Colorado Rockies and their history is, well, they don't have much of a history, to be sure. Only two franchises in baseball history have never won a division title, and that would be the, um, the two teams that were formed to begin the 1993 season. That would be the... Now Miami Marlins, they were the Florida Marlins when they began, and the Colorado Rockies. Neither one of those teams have ever won their division. And the Marlins are not going to win it this year. And the Rockies, well, they could win it. Now, the Rockies have made the postseason three times, each time as a wild card team. And those are the only three times they've ever finished in second place. As a team, they've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight winning seasons since they were formed in 1993. Most of the time, they've been around a 450 team. They've been a team that wins about, eh, you know, 74, 75 games and hit a crap load of home runs score a lot, draw pretty well. The Rockies have had you know pretty good, solid fan base over the years and not really contend, not really being in there, kind of just sort of being. And which means that, you know, Denver, which is a great sports city, has not had a lot to cheer about baseball-wise. They've only once advanced beyond the division series. And so when I'm, you're looking at teams that should have won, there's not been a, a lot of teams where you're like, oh, man, they were so close. They were so close. They are putting together such a great year, and they fell short. Only twice have they ever cracked 90 wins. And the other time they made the postseason was when they finished a game behind the Los Angeles Dodgers in 1995. So that really only gives me three teams to pick from as the teams that should have won. Now, the team in 1995, the Blake Street Bombers, is they almost, almost put together one of the biggest upsets in the history of baseball. And it's hard to think of that happening. But a hit here or a hit there in cores, and they would have been set up to have one of the most amazing turn-your-head-and-cough uh upsets that you would have ever imagined in the history of the game. This was a team that just hit the snot out of the ball. 
Galraga, Castilla, Bichette, Larry Walker, Ellis Burks, they just hit the tar out of the ball. They didn't have any pitching. Kevin Ritz, Billy Swift, all these people had super high ERAs. They just, you know, they would, there was no humidor in that. So all the games were unbelievably high-scoring games. And so basically they bludgeoned teams to death. And they were fun, and they were basically a softball team. And everyone knew that about this team. This was not a team that anyone thought was going to go anywhere. But an interesting thing happened in that year's postseason, and that is in game one against the Atlanta Braves, who were supposed to rampage through the postseason, what was tied going into the ninth in game one of the division series against the heavily favored Atlanta Braves. And lest we forget, in that ninth inning, the Colorado Rockies loaded the bases with one out and Andres Galarraga coming up. And all Galarraga had to do was single and the Braves would have lost that first game to the Rockies. But he struck out and Don Baylor, for reasons that I'll never understand, went absolutely bonkers putting in pinch hitters and pinch runners before the ninth inning, and at the bottom of the ninth, he ran out of pinch hitters. And so Lance Painter, a pitcher, had to pinch hit for Curtis Liskanek. The game was on the line. Bases loaded. Coors Field, where anything could happen. Like a check swing goes into the upper deck, and he had to turn to a pitcher to bat. And he, you know, he made an out. Lost the game. In the in game two of the division series, the Colorado Rockies not only played the Braves tough, but they went into the ninth inning. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I gotta look this up, but yeah, they went to the ninth inning with the lead. And the Braves rallied. Now think about that for a second. They were three outs away from winning game two. And they were Andres Galarraga getting a single away from winning game one. They would have been up 2-0 going back to Atlanta. And the Rockies wound up winning game three. Imagine the Braves, who had had all that trouble winning and everything like that, being eliminated by the one-dimensional Colorado Rockies. That would have been devastating for the reputation of that franchise. But that's not the team that I think should have won. Because that Braves team needed to win a title. And that Rockies team was just ridiculous. That would have been like the 87 Twins all over again. Just a bunch of mashers and softball players getting together and hitting the tar out of the ball after a strike season. Yeah, it probably would have been fun. Maybe it would have been a blast. But that wasn't the team that should have won. Not in the history of the Rockies. Now, let's not forget the underrated league, uh, division series that happened between the Colorado Rockies and the Philadelphia Phillies in 2009, with the Phillies coming off of their world championship in 2008. Cliff Lee made short work of the Rockies in game one, but the Rockies came back to win game two. And they had... Lest we forget, they lost game three and game four at Coors by one run each. And they, had a, they were up 
four to two in game four. They let up three runs. They were they were they allowed the Phillies, and there were some questionable calls in this. They're terrible calls by the umpire. But if they had forced a game five, they would have faced Cole Hamels, who was slumping at the time, and they probably would have advanced. They probably would have gone on to the NLCS. Now, how would they have done against the L.A. Dodgers? Who knows? Eventually, the Phillies went on to the World Series and played a very strong World Series against the Yankees, who went on to win. I had mentioned that already because of A-Rod. But the Rockies were really only a little bit here and a little bit there away from forcing a winner-take-all that they would have been favored to win. But that's not the team, because, of course, the team, the team that should have won for Colorado, is 2007. The reason I'm saying that is very simple. The Rockies are a team that are, for the most part, well, let's say what they are, kind of schedule filler. You don't think much about the Rockies. If you're not from Colorado, you don't think much about the Rockies. You know, they're a fun team because you know it's going to be a wild, high-scoring game. But, you know, for the most part, they don't have a real strong uh, stranglehold in baseball lore and amongst casual baseball fans. But they had their chance in 2007. And to be sure, they are still part of baseball lore, what they did in 2007, and their amazing finish to the season. But if they went on to win in 2007, it would have been the stuff of legend. It would have been the stuff of Disney films. It would have been the stuff that you look at and is always on people's minds. What was I just saying earlier about the American League being so bunched together? About being really just all jammed up? People would be pointing to the Rockies and saying, you see, we got to be like the Rockies. Because the Rockies went from being a team stuck in the log jam to waking up and being in the World Series. Lest we forget that Rockies team that still had Tulowitzki, still had Matt Holliday, still had uh, Todd Helton, still had Ubaldo Jimenez, still had a bunch of players that you know that you think of if you're you know a Rocky fan at all. Tulowitzki and Helton are probably the biggest ones to point to. And Clint Hurdle, a baseball lifer who has a great look as a baseball guy and everything like that. And the Rockies, for most of the year, were okay. You know, not great, but okay. You know, they had a, they, by the middle of May, they were, you know, kind of floundering around a few games under 500. It was going to be a typical Rockies year. Then a nice winning streak. Hey, they're one game over 500 in mid-June. That's nice. Ah, they went on a terrible losing streak in June. They're under 500. They were going to be one of those teams that was going to win about 75 games. Oh, look at that. They're about a 500. Now they went on a losing streak. It was that whole way. It was the tide. It was the tide. And then they're like, oh, they're hovering around 500 again. A game or two over 500. And then... They went on a three-game losing streak in September. They were four games, un- four games above 500. They were six and a half games out of 
uh, first place behind the San Diego Padres. Now, at that point, at that point on the 15th of September, 2007, midway through September, only a handful of games left. The Rockies were behind in every way, shape, or form. They were the, the wildcard teams at the time would have been uh, Philadelphia and San Diego. All right, and, and, all right, and there was no wildcard game, remember. So there was the, you know, the Padres. They were four and a half games behind the Padres with you know, a couple of games left to play. In other words, you know what? Mm, not, too, not too good. And then they started winning. And they started winning some more. And they started winning some more. And they outscored. They doubled the output. They scored 102 runs and let up only 51. And of the, with those 15 games left, they won 14 of them. The only game they lost, they lost to Arizona. And that prevented them from winning the division. Forcing the one-game playoff with San Diego. They needed help. They needed a slump from San Diego. And then they had that 13-inning one-game playoff for the wild card where they were losing the bottom of the 13th and Trevor Hoffman does what Trevor Hoffman does, which is blow the big games. Then they swept the Philadelphia Phillies in some of them super close games. And then they swept the Arizona Diamondbacks, who had the best record in the National League. From that moment, 15 games, they won 14 of them. And then to go, I mean, they went, when you think about going 14 and 1, take the division series, that's 17 and 1, take the league championship series, that's 21 and 1. They won 21 out of 22 games going into the World Series against Boston. And here's the thing I bet you forgot. Now, the Red Sox absolutely clobbered the Rockies in game one of the World Series. They, it, was, it was over in the first inning. And because of that, and the fact that the Rockies got swept, there is an image that the Rockies got totally blown out in that World Series. But truth be told, the Rockies had a lead in game two. And they had the tying run on first in the eighth inning when Matt Holliday got picked off. And the Rockies rallied in a wild course field game. They fell behind early to the Red Sox in game three, but then rallied and pulled it to within one. And then the Red Sox rallied and pulled away. Game four was a one-run game. A hit here or a hit there in games two and four and that could have been a World Series. That could have been a tight World Series. And if they had won that World Series, and as a Red Sox fan, of course I'm thrilled that the Red Sox won the 2007 World Series, but of the three World Series that the Red Sox won, that's the one that if I said you have to part with one of them, so okay, maybe that one. The, <laughs> the Rockies were four wins away from being the greatest baseball story of all time? One of them. And think about this for a second, if you think that's hyperbole. Imagine, you know, the Mets collapsed in that, in that uh, uh, September. 
Imagine if it was the Mets who went on a rally like that, or the Red Sox, or the Yankees, or the Cubs, or the Tigers, or any team where there's a traditional fan base. Wouldn't that be considered, even their way into the postseason, would have been a thing of legend. If they won the World Series, being so far back with 15 games to go, Again, you just call up Disney, we have, the screen, we have the screenplay all ready to go. If the Rockies had won those four games in the World Series, even if it wasn't a sweep, they would be remembered forever as the team to point to when you say there's no hope left with two weeks to go. Instead, oh, diehard baseball fans will remember Rocky fans will remember, and there'll be some nice memories of from time to time. But if it ended with a championship and not a sweep on their home field, I don't think this is hyperbole. It would have been one of the greatest baseball stories ever. Ever. And the name Colorado Rockies would be synonymous with don't give up. Don't give up. And for that reason, I believe 2007 was the year the Rockies should have won. Sorry if there's a little echoey in here, but do you want? I got to be honest with you. There are so many people in my house right now that this time and this place where I'm recording right now is the only place where I can record. Just trust me. Just trust me. Uh, I'm going to try to knock off some more of the who, who should have won in little mini web, you know, episodes along the way as I get rallied up for the revamping of the Sully Baseball podcast, which should be in the next bunch of weeks. Hey, go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been Sully Baseball, the weekly podcast, which I'm going to be dropping. Well, let's drop it today, which is the 24th day of June, 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please, uh, let me show you up. Let me celebrate. I'll bun for a base hit, and you can call me Sully.